0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Hey, thank you for... um for putting up with some of the changes in the room, we are, you know we're trying to manage some very different sized um, services. Uh, we got 80 last night, a couple about a hundred or so for service, and so we're trying to make sure that we're able to accommodate all those different sizes. We got to add ro- add rows and different things right now. So I know that may have been a little bit inconvenient, but appreciate you guys for for just being able to be willing to connect with us. Now there's some people who are still kind of standing around, so maybe if you uh, does anybody not have a seat, raise your hand real quick. No, we're good. Okay, so I just want to say thank you guys for being here. We're starting a series called Be." We are jumping in on uh, this conversation about um, the gap between where we're at and where we want to be in Christ. And so before we do that and, and start really working on that, um, that idea, let's pray and ask God's blessing on the service. Would you join with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to work in our hearts, that you want to work amongst us. Whether it's in the small groups as we kind of dive deep into these pieces and apply them to our lives. Or whether it's here in the large group where you want us to be a movement for the sake of good and and your gospel in this world. We pray that you would just allow us to be men and women who are available to be shaped and changed by you today. So we ask for this um, time to be a blessing to you and glorifying to you and transformative to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we begin thinking about wannabes, I step back and I was contemplating with one time that I was sitting in a church service uh, at another church and I listened to the pastor talk about this event that had happened in his life that was mind-blowing, right? He's at this lake and this guy starts to drown. He literally jumps in the water, saves this person, pulls him out, resuscitates him. He's like, you know, saved a person's life kind of heroic story. And I'm sitting there going, that's amazing. And I was feeling like such a schmuck because to be quite honest, the height of my heroism ended in 1st grade. That's that's about where I got to. I was in first grade with just and I'm am a nerd just so those of you don't know me by the way my name is Greg Harris yes and I admit I'm a nerd. I was in Gate when I was in first first grade any any Gate people in here with me? Woo, all right, we love the Gate people. Anyway, I was in Gate and um and gay is like the, the honor roll for like Corona Norco Unified School District at the time. And so I just put in this class, I sit across from this kid named um, Mr. Jones, I'll call him. And Mr. Jones was, a, was an interesting guy. We're in the gay class, but he was the kid who just decided he was going to be the bully to the rest of the class. And so he would pick on people and push people, start fights with people. And one day he comes along and, and does this to my group of friends. And he starts picking on them, and I just snapped. I mean, I would had enough of it at my, in my block where I was picked on regularly. Early. And so I just—I don't know what happened—but I just got in the way and I said, "Stop picking on my friends." Now I was a big first grader; I was a big seven-year-old. And as I'm standing there looking at this kid, he was a little shorter than me. And he goes, "What are you gonna do about it?" And I just said, this, and I just shoved him on the ground. And he—I don't know if he saw that like I had lost it. My eyes were just like, "I'm gonna kill you, kid," you know, whatever. But he was freaked out. He's like, Oops. And he starts crying and running away. I'm like, all my friends are like, "Yay!" You know, and they put me up on their shoulders—at least in my head, this is how it worked—and they're like, jumping around and it's like, Greg, Greg, Greg's like the Rudy moment. No, um, basically they just went back to playing tag. And that's the height of my heroism. Every other heroic venture I've ever done is just something I did in my mind and never activated. And that makes me feel guilty because I got some great heroes in my life I look up to. Don't you? Um, don't we have these heroes, these men and these women in history and around us that we go, that person is awesome. I want to be like them because of this reason. For me, I've got inventors and authors and church fathers, all these kinds of people have been heroes in my life. But I'm just curious, I want you guys to turn and do me a favor, share with somebody next to you, who is your hero and why? What attribute about them makes them your hero? It's important. So I want you to do that real quick. Turn to somebody you're sitting with that you feel safe with and just tell them who your hero is and why. You can do this at home too if if you've got somebody you're sitting with online. Just with a show of hands, um, real quick, as I know not all of you have had a chance to share. It's a lot of you in here. Just a quick show of hands: How many of you guys chose somebody from history? It's somebody who's dead, they're gone, they were in the past. and Somebody was shared that. Okay, a few, a couple of you. I expected more. How many of you had like a parent, mom or dad, something like that? A little bit more. How many of you have a, have a, a current? The, your your heroes still alive today? They're still here. They're alive. Um, did anybody? This is. Did anybody select a celebrity? Like, hey, this is like Jay-Z or somebody. He's like, you're not just kidding. The, uh, what's funny is, I, you know, when we don't do this much, but online, everybody, when I was looking at sites on Heroes, they all pick celebrities. They have these people, they're like, yeah, this, this artist and this rock star and this movie star. I'm like, time out, guys. These people only pretend to be heroes. They're not actually able to fly and kick people in the face. This doesn't happen. Celebrities aren't heroes. Heroes are obscure individuals who rise up in difficult time periods to accomplish great things for good. And, and what happens is we look at those people and we go, whoa. And sometimes our parents are heroes because how they've emulated their lives. How many of you said Jesus? Anybody in here say Jesus? He, Sunday schoolers. No, I'm just kidding. The. Uh, Actually, it's funny for me as I was sitting in a Carl's Jr. many years ago uh, with a book open and it was all about people pleasing and how to get over it and all this stuff. So I'm working through all these projects and, and they say, write out your heroes from when you were young and, and all through your life and then write those attributes next to them. So I did this, right? I'm like Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla and Alexander Graham Bell, all inventors when I was a kid. And then it turns into like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and then it's Athanasius and Luther and Augustine, all these people from church history. And so I'm just writing all these lists out and all these different people of why they're my heroes for what they did, how they stood for this and how they created that. And I backed off, because it was supposed to be helping you see what your list of values were in your life, and suddenly it just smacked me. As I looked, I'm like, creative, storyteller, who stands for little people, the poor, and capable of standing for theology. I'm like, wait a minute, my hero is Jesus. I am making the Sunday school answer, but for a different reason. For me, literally every attribute of the people that I emulated, the people that I love, was found in this one named Jesus. And this one that I followed. And you think about it, the attribute that you shared, you can most likely find it in Christ. And if a whole room of those attributes are put together and we find them in Christ, what I want to challenge you is whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're following Jesus or not, if you're just examining this thing, that perhaps Jesus is the kind of person that you should emulate anyway. That Jesus is the kind of person that when you get to know him, when you see who he is, he's the creative, inventive, powerful, capable individual who is the storyteller, the artist, the one that you're just like, what is this in this one? And you can discover that Jesus is the ideal human for life. And and what happens for Christians is we know this. We're like Sunday school answer, Jesus should be my hero. But he truly can be. When you start to think about what he's accomplished and what he's done and how he has shaped all of our heroes towards this vision of life. And then comes the problem. I examine my life, and I look at who I am, and I look at my hero, and I see there's this huge gap between me and him. And though I want to be like Christ, all I really am is just a wannabe. Anybody feel like that sometimes? You get out of your car, you're supposed to be like Christ, we pretend, we do our thing like we talked about last week, but honestly, we're just simply being wannabes. We, we, we know we should be better, we know we should be like Christ, we know we should be growing, but how do you do that? How do you go from where we're at to being more like Christ? What's that gap? We know we'll never be perfect because, you know, that's what happens in heaven, but how do we at least close the gap a little bit? How do we get closer to what we're supposed to be like? And, and the answer is, is difficult. Because there's some pitfalls that I need to point out. And that's sort of really how I want to start this series. Because I want to point out these pitfalls. Because the Apostle Paul, he was a church planter in the, in the first century. Uh, he planted all kinds of churches for Christ. Jesus had sent him out. And Paul set up all these churches. And in his churches, especially in an area called Galatia, which is in what we would call modern-day Turkey, there is this area called Galatia. And all these churches were in there. And they were struggling with this question, how do I live freely so that I can become like Christ? Christ, what do I do? How do we do this? And there was all these false teachers and all these different ideas and all these kind of gurus and stuff and paganism floating around in this pluralistic environment that they had to work through to understand in our world, how do we live like Jesus, how do we be like Christ? And so Paul writes a letter to them, and we know it today as the letter of Galatians. And if you will, grab a Bible, find them under the seats if you need one. But on page 974 in the seat Bibles, you can find it, or Galatians chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1 through 21. Um, if you have the app, you can, even at home, if you're, if you're watching this online, you can pull it out on the app. You can find the notes there, and you can follow through with us in that area. It's there on, in your phone as well. So Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, starts a conversation. He, he's just said, in the way that you came to Christ is the same way that you develop in Christ. And he wants to remind them that. And now he wants to lay out these two major pitfalls that they've stumbled into. And so his first pitfall he lays out is like, look, becoming like Christ Didn't come from the law. Becoming like Christ doesn't come from rules and regulations. And so he begins, verse 1. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So he he says, listen, guys, you've been set free for freedom. Christ wants you to be free. He wants you to walk in freedom. But here's the case. You're trying to lock yourself up in slavery again. Now, slavery is a big topic. In the ancient world, ev- the vast majority, 80% of people were slaves. And, and so you, everybody understood this. You were, you, if you were a freed person, it was a rarity. It was a blessing. It was a great thing. In our culture, we have a different vision of slavery and freedom and all this stuff. We talk about freedom from restraints and all these kind of things. But here, it's a specific kind of freedom that God wants us to understand, that God wants us to grasp. And it's layered into the Bible. And it starts off with an understanding of what we've been enslaved to. And I like to put it this way, even if you're new to Christianity, you can get this because I think everybody in this room would say you're a person with good intentions, wouldn't you? I mean, we're all people of good intentions. Everybody I've ever talked to, be them Christian or not, pretty much says, look, I don't intend to do wrong. I'm not setting out to be like an evil person. I've got good intentions. I want to help people. I want to care about the poor. Yeah, I want to I make sure that my children get a good education. I want to be a good parent. All good intentions, amen? But here's the problem. Our good intentions never line up with our actions. We wind up having good intentions to care for people or the poor, and we wind up never doing In fact, I remember I had a conversation. He's like, I, my friend was saying, like, I care about the poor. I absolutely care about the poor. They're a big deal, and he's laying out all the reasons and why the government should help and all these things. I'm like, okay, I, you know, I don't know a lot about that. And I just asked him, how much money do you give out of your income to help the poor? Nothing. And that's the point, right? The point is that I have every good intention to, love for my, to care about my children and to love on them. And so I do that. Then why are you yelling at them at these times? Well, you know, I've got my reasons. I just make mistakes. Exactly. We all make mistakes. The situation is that, that whenever we have a good intention and we do something opposite, we say it's a mistake. We didn't mean to because I have good intentions. Look at my intentions. And God says, it's not good enough. In fact, what's interesting is that because of everybody's bad actions, we have to create lots of things called laws. Anybody noticed how many new laws we've had in the last couple decades? Laws of car seats and laws of seatbelts and laws on when you can put a kid in a car, when you can't put a kid in the car, laws on every aspect from what you can put around your pool and how your pool is set. I mean, we have so many laws. We just might as well just make one law. You are not allowed to die. It's illegal. You know, that's how I view it. And what we've done is we're so scared of everybody else's evil and everybody else's mistakes because they harm us. We want the government to make laws. We want rules. In fact, I know everybody's good intentions are, broke, are broken by their actions because I can go to the Barnes and Nobles, I can go to church bookstores and find entire rows of things called self-help books. Anybody listen to some self-help podcasts, right? Self-help's about the realization, I'm not who I want to be, I need some help. And so I start reading all these rules and all these ideas and 10 steps to this and 9 steps to that, and now I can be the best me I can ever be. Here's the problem. You may have even come to church thinking, I'm here To be a good person. I'm here because church makes me better. It makes me a good person. It makes me happier. Hey, this is about being good and doing good. Which is why so many people point at the church and say, you guys are all hypocrites. And in the church, we all feel like, well, man, I'm so in, I'm just, you know, I'm just a mess. I actually don't live up to this. I'm so inconsistent. And we feel this gap because we think it's about being good and doing good. And here's the problem. Paul says it's not. Check this out. We continue forward in the passage. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And you're like, what is up with the circumcision talk, Greg? This is really gross. All right. So in their world, circumcision wasn't just something that happened to you when you were a baby. Circumcision was a decision that was made by men in order to do like the down payment of entering into a covenant, into into the regulations of Jewish religion. And so when you stepped into the Jewish religion, you said, I'm making the down payment, I'm I'm being circumcised, and this means I'm making a commitment that I'm gonna follow the rules and regulations of Judaism. I'm gonna do the Sabbath when they do it. I'm gonna do the festivals when they do it. I'm gonna eat like they eat. I'm gonna worship the one God at the temple and the way that they do that. All of this comes in a package when you, when you enter in with circumcision, and the early church was struggling, they're like, how do we honor Jesus? How do we be like Jesus? And somebody was saying, simple, follow the rules, and you'll be like Jesus. Put yourself under the rules, and you'll wind up living and being like Jesus. And Paul said, no, 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 no. If you accept circumcision, if you put yourself back under the rules, you put yourself back under the little regulations and all the steps... You're obligated to keep every single one. In fact, he gets very severe here. Look at this next verse. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. And that's the point. That word justified is important. He's saying, if you're trying to make yourself right before God by the law, by good rules, you're going to lose out because you have fallen away from grace. Now, what what do I mean here? So many of us come to church. So many of us think Christianity is about do this, and don't do that. Do this, and don't do that. Do this, and don't do that. Actually, Islam's about do this, and don't do that. If you do these things right, and don't do these things, God might love you, and bless you, and bring you into heaven. Judaism says if you do these things and you do this and you don't do this and you got more more good than you got bad, God's going to accept you into heaven. Buddhism actually claims if you follow the fourfold truth and the eightfold path, then you will, or the four noble truths and the eightfold path, you will have blessing. You will enter into heaven nirvana. You will have this glorious experience. You'll get out of this whole cycle of reincarnation. Hinduism says if you build enough good karma in your life and deal with enough of your bad karma, you'll be released into this, into Brahman and stop being Atman. You'll get out of the Illusion, but it's all about do, 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 do. Secularism says if you're not smart enough, you need to do a good education to be a good person. If you're not rich enough, you need to do really good things so you can make good money, and then you're going to get out of your problem. Stop doing these things. Do stuff, and you'll have a good life. Christianity is not about do this and don't do that, although it sounds like that very often, because we fall into the pitfall of putting ourselves back under the rules. And Paul says, if you do that, you've fallen from grace. Because grace isn't something that's given because you earn it. It's given without any desert. You don't deserve it at all. See, Christianity spells coming to God not as D-O. It spells it as done, done. You see, what Jesus did is he did all the doing. He finished it off. He lived every good Jewish rule. He lived out every good intention. There was nothing God could judge him for. And then on the cross, when he dies, Christianity states, when you receive what Jesus did for you, this is the good news. God puts in you, like you take a sponge and you soak it in water, and it just soaks in that water. He puts in you, infuses in you. The word is imputes all of his goodness into you so that you can be right with God. Not because you did anything, but because he wants to, because he loves you. The church isn't about do this and do that, be good and don't be bad. The church is about something completely different. In fact, when we see that we get locked into this, we lose track of following Jesus and we fall under all these rules of your quiet time, making sure you're at church at the right time, making sure that you do you know, these good volunteer efforts and you tithe this money and you've done these, done these things, all of this stuff, right? And here's the thing, you're going to end up doing good, trust me, because we're going to be like Christ. But doing this good doesn't make you like Christ. It's the result of something else. It's not about the doing good and the being good. So if Jesus is paid for this, then, dude, I'm free to do whatever I want then, right? Yeah, all right. And how many people have I met in my life that say, I'm a Christian. They go live however they want because Jesus forgave me. God's got to forgive me. God forgives people. He's love. Well, hold on a second. That's the second pitfall. And I want to make sure that we're careful here. See, being like Jesus doesn't happen naturally, does it? (laughs) it'd be so nice if it did. Gosh, I'd just wake up and be like Jesus one day. I'm just like, ah, it's done. I don't sin anymore. I don't hurt people anymore. This is awesome. You know? No, it doesn't happen naturally. And Paul is very clear. Notice this. He says, look, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And here's his point. What is this word flesh? This is a weird word. It doesn't mean my skin, doesn't mean my bones, is my my muscle is this carne asada, you know, no. This is actually the idea of the natural way of life. It is your natural way of living. It's your natural desires, your natural wants, your natural longing, as the world yells, you be you, you do you, you know, you only live once, you got to do it your way, know yourself, eat, pray, love, all this stuff, find the secret of the universe and go for it because it's about you, be the best you now, whatever it is, that kind of stuff only leads you to amplify the junk that's already coming out of us. We all have good intentions, but we're enslaved to making a ton of, quote, mistakes, And how many times do we have to harm people? How much junk do we have to produce? This is the problem. We want to be the boss of ourselves. We want to rule ourselves. We want to say, I'm in charge. Since Jesus set me free, I can know God and be in charge. This is great. And Paul says, whoa, time out. Don't let your freedom be an excuse to doing whatever you want, to living this natural life. It doesn't work this way. In fact, He gives us an example of what actually happens when we do that as we move on down to verse 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh, what you produce out of your flesh is evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something difficult for a second here. Open your, open, you may have in front of you one of, the, one of the programs or whatever. I want you to literally take your pen for a minute, looking at this verse, and just kind of, you know, jot maybe the ones that you actually have done in your life down. There's a checklist in there or whatever, check the check. But my point for me, as I've done this, I sat down and I looked at this list. And as you guys are doing that, I'll just let you know. This is how it works for me. Sexual immorality, that's any kind of sexual expression outside of marriage, lust, or, or whatever. Okay, we will check. Okay, impurity, that's cussing, thinking poorly, evil, dirty thoughts. Okay, check. Sensuality, just kind of lounging around and experiencing just my pleasure and all. It's being in, entertained for entertainment sake. Okay, check. Idolatry, worshiping anything other than God. Check. Sorcery, which is drug use for the sake of tra- getting your mind kind of a transcendent world trying to overcome um, your world with drugs. So so check. Okay, enmity, check. Strife, jealousy, fits in your When I went through this, I checked every single box but the last one. Thank God. (laughs) And here's the hard part. I was proud I didn't check the last one. (laughs) Which then made me write down pride. Okay, check. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? It's like, oh, all this evil. (laughs) But I didn't do the last one. Really, Greg? Really? Yeah, really? We produce all kinds of junk, and just because we follow a bunch of rules doesn't change you. Maybe your behavior changes, but it doesn't change your heart. And running after you doesn't give you Jesus. doesn't make you like your heroes. It makes you selfish, self-centered, and produces all kinds of yummy stuff. Be honest with yourself. These are a lot of the things on this list you don't share with your parents, your spouse, or anyone else. You would love to keep them hidden away because they make you feel guilty, ashamed, or just plain broken. There's not a person in this room who didn't check something. And notice that God doesn't say, and these are mistakes. No, he says, these are things like, and things like these, I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the problem. These things aren't mistakes. These are being on the wrong side of morality. They're evil, not mistakes. We're enslaved to evil in our hearts. We're enslaved to doing what the Bible has called sin. This is a list of them. And he says, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? Um, One pastor put it this way, the kingdom of God is anywhere Jesus reigns. He reigns in heaven currently, he reigns in our hearts as Christians, and he reigns in the church. One day he'll reign on earth. Wherever you find Jesus ruling, that's the kingdom of God. In fact, you could translate that as the rule of God, or where God's the boss. And so here's the problem, Paul says, if you're severed from Christ's following rules, it doesn't mean just run off and do whatever you want to do, because when you're being the boss, Jesus isn't the boss. And when you're being the boss, you and I produce all kinds of garbage. And it's the stuff that you don't get to be in heaven with. See, if we don't want God now in our lives, why would we want to go to the place where he's clearly in charge for eternity? Heaven's not about us. Heaven's about God. It's always been there. There is no concept of of a heaven where God isn't ruling in any of the religions that hold to a heaven. It's Americans who erased God out of heaven and turned it into our pleasure zone. And what happens is we have to be serious and ask ourselves if God is this serious to keep us away from him because of sin and punish it even in a place that he calls Gehenna, which is just the place outside of the kingdom of God. What do we do with that? And it's not here to make you feel guilty. It's here to wake us up and say, whoa, wait a minute. If it's not by rules I get this cleaned up, even though Jesus did it all and set me free, what do I do with this mess that keeps me from God? Because if he's going to keep you out of the kingdom of God, that means something's between you and God. Your relationship isn't good. You may not experience God because there's a gap between you and God. There's sin in the way. And yet here again, God didn't want anybody to not be in his kingdom. So you know what he did? He sent his son Jesus to bear that sin. God himself came and took the punishment. He doesn't want anybody out of the kingdom. He wants everybody in it. So he took that list of junk and he swallowed it on himself on the cross so that you could be forgiven. He's not forgiving willy-nilly. I forgive you and I forgive you. No, he had to deal with sin and deal with it fully. And So he did. So he can forgive you. And so now if it's not about following myself and it's not about a bunch of rules, well, what's it about? If Jesus was able to seal my relationship so I can go into the kingdom of God, well, cool, and I'm not supposed to live for myself, what do I do? How do we become like the one we want to be? The answer is just simply follow the lead. Follow the lead of the one you want to be. And you're like, well, that's cryptic. Greg thinks. We'll we'll flesh this out for a second. Verse 16 through 7, back up in the text. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, notice this. He says that I tell you, it's not about rules and laws. In fact, that's what he ends with, right? if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So it's not about doing whatever you want to do. No, no, no. It's not about your flesh. Your flesh is opposed. There's this conflict against this one called the Spirit. The Spirit is actually the third person of the Trinity, the one who dwells in you. When Jesus paid for your sin and did everything that needs to be done, God was pleased with you. And when you receive him, God moves into your life and begins a relationship with you. Literally, he dwells in you. There's no gap between you and God. God dwells. With his Christians by his presence, the person of the Spirit. It is Christ in you, God present to lead you, speaking to you, connecting to you. It's a relationship. This is the radical difference of all the other religions. Christianity claims you don't do anything. God graces you with Jesus Christ. If you receive it, then he moves in and he relates to you. And it's in that relationship as you follow his lead, as you follow the lead of the one you want to be, that he changes you into the one you want to be like. That the results or the fruit, as you will see in this series, is good and being good. As the result of the relationship, not rules, and not living your natural life. Those are the pitfalls. And so the only way to be transformed, I'm going to give you four principles on how to be transformed. I'm kidding. That would be back in rules, right? No, what I want to do is I want to call us to this relationship. I want to call us to walking behind the Spirit of God who is speaking to you, who is calling you forward. So that means we need to know his voice. How do you know the voice of the God who dwells with you? Because he's speaking to you. You know that, right? Because God's not like saved you just to go like, okay, have fun. No, God saved you and dwells in you to have a relationship. And and, and key here, guys, how do you have a relationship? This is important for every single relationship in your life. This is how you have a relationship. One person speaks, the other person listens. One person speaks, the other person listens, and communication goes back and forth. When you have that, you have what we call a relationship. Pretty, that's like, you take that home. That was free. I'm just kidding. It's obvious, right? But when we come to God, we don't think of a relationship with God as he speaks and I listen, I speak and he listens until you start realizing what prayer is. Prayer is you speaking. God hears you. Reading the word isn't something you have to do every day. No, it's hearing his voice. This is the word of God. The spirit of God literally inscribed, inscripted this. It's inspired as it says. The spirit of God led men to write down and this is his voice to us. As you get to know the word, you get to know his voice. As you get to know his voice, you get to know his desire because his desires are against yours. His desires don't lock you under the law. His desires lead you to become like Christ in a relationship. And so we got to know his voice and hear that relationship. The fastest way I can say this is that you got to keep your mind. On the things of God. Notice how Paul says it in another in another letter that he writes to another church. Same concept. He says, "For those who live according to the flesh, the natural way of life, they set their minds on the things of the natural way of life." Isn't that true? If you're sitting pondering constantly your anger and your frustration, if you're sitting pondering and discussing constantly this this bitterness that's going on at work and how you want to just blow up the freeways and everybody who's involved with it, or whatever you're feeling. If you're like me and you're imagining you've locked guns on your car and you're like driving. Around Anybody who, okay, maybe you're not like me. But the the idea is that you're contemplating and thinking constantly about the fleshly things. You're forgetting something, that the Spirit of God is there. See, those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. You keep your mind on God's things. You keep your mind on his stuff. And what does that look like? What does that mean? First and foremost, just start here. The spirit of God is always with you. He doesn't leave you. He's not here right now because you're at church and not with you when you go home. No, he's here with you in church and he's here with you in the foyer. He's with you in the car. He's with you at work. He's not more with you at church. He's not more with you in the car. He's not more with you at Chick-fil-A. Well, he may be more at Chick-fil-A, but not anywhere else. Um, He's he's never more with you or less with you. He is always with you. And until you grasp that, we can't start to step into life going, God, why do you have me here now? Why does he have you here now? Why does he have you in the car in traffic then? Why does he have you on that field at that time? Why does he have you in front of that screen at that moment? So that when you're conscious of the presence of God, you keep your mind on the things of God that you've learned from the word of God. You begin to go, God, what is it then I can do to please you right now? What can I do to please you right now? Because this, you've got me here right now for a reason. What is it? I want to please you now. And if you know the scriptures, you're going to begin to hear his voice. Trust me. The more I've ever heard his voice, it's always the scripture. It's always something from from the truth of the word of God. Or it's one other word that I know very, very clearly. I think every Christian knows this word. No, right? You start walking towards sin, you'll hear the Spirit real loud. No, no, and you're like, "What? I'm not listening." And we walk right into sin. Anybody there with me? Amen. Come on. Let's be honest. We're not going to grow the baseline. It here. And here's the problem. It's not a bunch of rules it's not following myself, it's following his step. And if I can't hear his voice, if I don't know his word, if I'm not hearing and knowing where he's leading me, if I'm not keeping my mind on him, I'm going to keep my mind on my natural way. And this is the conflict. That's why they're at war with each other. That's why being lazy and just vegging out and this kind of stuff can be very dangerous to your soul if you're not careful. Because we lose track that the Spirit of God has got you here for a reason. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to work in you. And so we need to be aware of it. But this also doesn't mean that he always leads you into the good. I think one of the dangers out there is to assume, well, the Spirit of God is leading me. Why am I in the mess I'm in? I must have followed myself. No, sometimes he leads you into difficulty. Jesus had just been baptized. The Father had just shouted, this is my Son within whom I I am well pleased. And the Spirit comes upon Jesus fully. In the book of Luke, we pick it up, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were dended, he was hungry. Now that does not sound like fun to me. Let's go into the desert. Let me lead you into difficulty. Out in the middle where there's no food, don't eat. And for 40 days, he's out there. And I wonder if Jesus... Stood there in the desert going, okay, God, what you got me here for? And he got nothing. Wasn't told, you're here to be tempted. No, he waited because he doesn't get tempted until the end of the text when the devil shows up and starts tempting him. But he's 40 days waiting in the desert. What did he do while he was in the desert, we wonder? Well, we know one thing, he didn't eat. Well, why? Probably because he was told not to eat. And so he waited, God, should I eat today? God, is this what you got me for today? What do you got me here for, God? You're putting me through this trial on purpose. What's going on? And he waits. But I do think that he was constantly studying the scriptures. You know why? It's been observed that when the devil finally does come and tempt him, every single one of his quotes comes from a small block within the book of Deuteronomy. He had been meditating on the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again so that what he ended up having was the word of God to defend himself in the midst of the temptations and to overcome them. He had his mind set on the spirit, though the spirit had led him into difficulties. Some of you are in a waiting game. You're sitting in the middle of a difficult time, and you're asking God, why am I here? And he hasn't answered you yet. Keep relating to him. Keep talking. Keep praying. Keep connecting. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a purpose. Sometimes it may take 40 days till he responds. But God has you there, and in that time, he's shaping you. In that time, he's training you. In that time, he's guiding you to be like the one you want to be like, which is Christ. So you keep your mind on the spirit. You know he's going to lead you into transforma- transformative moments, difficult things. And then sometimes you're going to sit there and go, yeah, but Greg, man, I keep failing every time I'm out in the middle of the wilderness. I get tempted and I fall flat on my face. Where's God in that stuff? Well, he's there. He's ready to help you. He's ready to empower you. In fact, I love this verse. It's been comforting to my soul because I'm the kind of guy who sits there and goes, I have no self-control, and if it takes discipline to grow and I don't have... How does, I'm done. No, and here's the point. It's God who will work in you. The spirit of God dwells in you. He's going to work in you to will both, to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's going to will it in you and then work it out. God is present in you to activate you, give you the energy to make the right choice away from your flesh. He'll give you his desire and then he will give you his energy to do so. And it's weird because sometimes it doesn't seem like his energy is there at all. You're like, is it going to feel like electricity? Is it going to feel like I really want to go do God's thing? No. Sometimes it's going to be like an electric car. Anybody own an electric car in here? <laughs> Eric, our executive director, owns an electric car. I'll get him. We'll go to lunch and he'll drive. And we'll sit down. I'll, sit, I'll buckle up. And he'll sit down and he goes, presses this button. And I'm like, that's it? And <laughs> And the puller, oh, that sound of a purring engine. You know everything's on. The air conditioner's working. No, beep. Suddenly, puts in a reverse and goes. And I'm like, that's so weird. You don't even know it's on. The power is all there, ready to drive the car. All he has to do is push the gas. But I don't hear it. I don't see anything change. All he did was push a button. That's the point. The Spirit of God is in you, and you may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not hear it, you may not even realize it, but all you need to do is take the next step. And you're going to hear me say that a lot. Because spiritual growth is about being led by God in a relationship and you and I being willing to just take the next step. That The power is there, the energy is there to his desire and his aim, and all we have to do is take that first step and then the next one. And one day, as you continue to walk in the direction after the Spirit, you're going to wake up. People are going to go like, man, you're, you're so much like Christ. You're, that gap has closed. It's not because you followed a bunch of rules. And that's because it happens naturally. It happens in a relationship where you follow the lead of the one that you want to be like. Let me give you an example of what that looks like in the life of a lady named Patty. Check this out behind me.
1: Hi, my name is Patty Gunn and um, every year my husband and I ask each other three questions. Um, What are we going to start this year? What are we going to stop this year? And where is God at work and where we can join him? So that naturally led to our employment and asking how we can have an impact there. And um, so this last few years I've been building relationships with women at work and eventually that led to wanting to share more of the Lord with them. And so I approached uh, eight women and asked if they might be interested in a Bible study. And about 50% of the women were unchurched, 25% were Catholic, and I'd say the remainder are evangelicals. And to my surprise, all eight said yes. And quite honestly, I thought maybe one or two would. And when eight said yes, I got filled with fear. Then I was just reminded just to be faithful, just to go forward. But in my time of hesitating, a woman came to me from school who is Catholic, and she said, why are you not starting the Bible study? If you would just start Bible study, I'll skip mass and come to your Bible study. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this Bible study. These women wanted a place to have hope, to encourage each other, to mourn with each other, and to celebrate with each other. It was so easy, I was surprised I witnessed that the uh, Bible study had an impact on women. There's one specifically who, that she wasn't actively pursuing the Lord and not attending church in any way. And yet through this Bible study, she started reading God's word. She started praying out loud and engaging with other women. And uh, she started celebrating the ways that she was growing in the Lord. It was pretty exciting. If you're afraid to start a group, don't be afraid to ask someone to help you. That's what I did. And uh, it's been amazing to see all that God has done and to see all the fruit that's come from meeting with all these women.
0: It's pretty awesome, huh? What God can do through just one of you guys as, as you listen. Did you hear her third question they asked? They said, you know, what is God doing that we can get behind? That's keeping the mind on the Spirit. As they were working through this process, inviting people in, the Lord just kept leading one step at a time. And she began to grow this group. And I just praise God for what he does in you guys and what he does through our groups. And again, I want to challenge you that we follow Jesus, but we don't follow Jesus alone. We follow Jesus together. And maybe it's time for you to say, I got to get in a group. We, we started this last week. Still opportunity to join in these six weeks and be a part of that. Maybe you want to start a group like Patty did at your work or maybe with a f- group of friends. Um, we'd love to connect with you out there on the, in the courtyard. There'll be a thing called a briefing. And Justin will just give you information, get you this packet of, of stuff where you can work through those things. Or maybe you just want to join a group. There are groups out there to join. They're available and open. And so we just want to encourage you guys not to try to see this transformation done by yourself. You can't. We talked about that last week. But instead, to understand that this walking after Christ is something that we do together. Now, that being said, some of you need to make a decision today. God's been working on you. He's been trying to wake you. Maybe you came to church and he has a reason you're here. Because he loves you. Wanted you to hear that he is, he's not calling you to be good and do good and clean up all this stuff. But he's calling you to his relationship with him. And right now, you, you're, gonna, you're gonna face some voices in your head that this is ridiculous, that's not true, this is dumb. But I showed you the texts. So Christ has been saying for years, this is about a free gift to you. And it now lands at your seat. What are you gonna do with it? Is this something that you're willing to receive because God has loved you to pay for your sins, to do everything that you need so he can have a relationship with you, move into your life? And it begins right now where you can make that decision. So if you would, would, everybody in this room, please bow your heads with me. God may be calling you right now to begin that relationship with him by accepting and receiving the gift that he has for you in Jesus. And If that's you, this is a prayer that you can begin to pray to God. You just turn to him and from your heart, just let him know that you know you've sinned. You know you have all these good intentions, but it has come out in evil ways and you've harmed people and you've offended him. And that's hard, I know, but admit that to him. And now ask to receive his gift of all the good from Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. Ask God to forgive you, and he will. Now that you've done that, ask him to move into your life and to lead you now all the way through life into heaven. God, I ask that you would hear their cry, hear their hearts, hear their prayers, and answer them with your presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.